Welcome in, everybody. Glad you could be joining us for another edition of the Pick and Pod podcast. I am Andrew Posadas alongside Thomas Aiello. And everybody, we have breaking news. The 2020-2021 season is officially finalized and ready to go. And here are the particulars so we get you guys caught up. On Monday night, they did agree in principle on the start of the season. So from what we know, the schedule will be 72 games. Tip-off will be December 22nd. And that preserves the NBA's Christmas showcase, which Adam Silver and many sources told us had the NBA started after Christmas, they stood to lose $500 million to a billion dollars. So December 22nd was agreed upon. And for now, the other particulars associated with this, the NBA draft, it will be on November 18th. And just two days later, Aiello, free agency, November 20th, and they'll have about a week and some change until December 1st. And that's when teams expect camps to open up. So Aiello, your reaction to finally finding out that a 2020-2021 season has been set in stone? Well, first of all, I'm really happy that the NBA was able to move smoothly through negotiations. I mean, we saw way back in the 2011-2012 season with the CBA, uh, how long that took to start up. And they didn't start until Christmas, but that was for the salary cap, among other things. And here they are in the middle of a freaking pandemic, and they just quickly just turn it around like that. Like, all right, we're going to start around Christmas time. Here's when the draft and free agency. I thought they did a really good job between the Players Association and Adam Silver and his people working together to come up with something that everyone can agree upon And I know that is a quick turnaround from ending from around October 10th or 12th, like we saw in the bubble. So teams like the Heat and the Lakers don't really have a lot of resting time and time to prepare for their new season. You know, Pat Riley and Rob Palinka are definitely going to be busy in the office. They're going to be locking those doors and looking at every possible piece of paper with trades and information to get those moves uh, done if they would like to get any of them done, that is. And for teams like the Knicks or the Hawks, who have been off since pretty much March, I mean, they've been in their practice facilities trying to get in shape and implementing new strategies. I mean, some of the teams have coaching changes, so you got to adjust to that, and it gives them extra time. So it reaps its benefits and its um, disadvantages, but I think it's great that the NBA was able to come together and quickly decide on a date on when to get everything done. Yeah, and you mentioned that quick turnaround. So Usually, teams would have about 142 days. Well, the NBA champion would, the two teams in the finals, would have about that 140 days in between before the next season begins. For the Lakers and for the Heat, it's going to be a 71-day offseason, essentially, from that Game 6 conclusion to December 22nd. And that is going to mark the shortest offseason in the history of the NBA, NFL, NHL, or MLB. And we saw from the finals MVP LeBron James put up on his Instagram story when he had that when that stat was up on SportsCenter he had the hand on head emoji and he showed his displeasure I mean obviously he just came off his his fourth NBA championship and he only essentially has about a month and a week before he has to start getting ready for training camp so Aiello I would have to think LeBron's not happy I'm sure the eight teams including the New York Knicks who haven't had the opportunity to play in almost eight months. I'm sure they're chomping at the bit to get back. But if you're LeBron James, I think most players who have been in the bubble already from those 22 teams uh, 
they can't be too happy to start the season on, on such a quick turnaround, given the fact that for most of these teams, they just played about 90 days ago, 120 days ago. Yeah, I definitely say that players like LeBron and Jimmy Butler, I mean, well, Jimmy doesn't seem to care about anything, so he'll, he'll start if the NBA ended a week before the next season started. It doesn't seem like he really cares. With LeBron James, it makes sense because he just came off of a crazy six-game series versus the Heat, and he had to put a lot of effort into beating them. Miami gave them way more of a fight than a lot of people expected. And, you know, you want some time to celebrate your championship and do all the partying and among other things that we're not going to mention, but he does want some time to do that and hang out with his family and all of that stuff. But um, you know what? You, you got to, at the end of the day, you got to just show up to work. Honestly. I mean, you can go for your fifth championship right here and he has a really good chance to do it given it's going to be another 2011, 2012 season where it's shortened and might be a little easier for him. So he doesn't play as many games and he'll be a little bit more rested. But like you said, the quick intervals between seasons, especially for the two teams that went to the finals, it's, it's going to be pretty tough. And I'm going to be very interested to see how they respond to such a quick vacation, if you will. Yeah, and a lot of people believe that the Lakers and the Heat will probably take that first month to kind of just rest, treat it like a preseason type of period where they're going to rest their stars and give guys time to acclimate. And that leads me going to November 18th and the NBA draft. That leads me to this draft class because Aiello, I really don't know what to make of it. A lot of guys, you know, you know about uh, Obi Toppin, obviously able to watch him covering Fordham men's basketball and going to Dayton for their game earlier this year. Uh, You think about LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, who had his season cut short uh, because of some NCAA violations. For a lot of these guys, they didn't get a chance to finish adding to their tape, so to speak. You know, a lot of guys really get their draft stock higher in the conference tournaments, in the NCAA tournament. And then obviously the combine is a major aspect of it. Well, that's a chance for you to show the intangibles, to show the athleticism, all that. And now for a lot of these guys, they have to do individual workouts and it's really not the same. What are you expecting from this year's draft class? And what are you looking forward to most seeing? Well, I feel like the only player who really solidified himself as as a star or a potential star is Anthony Edwards. I think he did enough early on in the college season. I mean, you look at the game versus, I think it was, I think against Michigan State or one of those teams when they went to Hawaii yeah, and the, the kid just went on, yeah, and he just went on a like a 25-point run pretty much by himself. So I think he's the only player that's done enough to solidify himself as, in my opinion, the number one overall pick. I mean, he's a 6'5", 6'6", shooting guard. He's built like Derrick Henry. He can run, he can jump, he can shoot, pass, dribble. Um, I question his heart and his desire to play for stats rather than to play for wins because I have seen that tossed around a little bit. And I guess for the rest of the players in the draft, you look at Wiseman, you mentioned LaMelo Ball, Obi Toppin. Uh, I would probably, if I was an NBA team, take these guys with a flyer. I mean, Wiseman, we've only really seen him play in one game, so you're pretty much going off of his high school stuff. I mean, he could be good, but we don't know. And LaMelo Ball, we know that he's capable. The problem with him is, is his shot IQ going to get better? Is his decision-making going to be good? Is LaVar Ball going to stay the hell out the way, which he has to? And then, I mean, the rest of the draft, I mean, Obi Toppin, he's – an upperclassman, so maybe you kind of know what you're getting with him. 
and Tyrese Halliburton, who's an incredibly smart point guard, who might be, in my opinion, the smartest player in the draft. And then you kind of look at Kira Lewis, Devin Vassell, these underrated guys who no one really gave a lot of attention to, but they have some, some potential here. So I guess if you're approaching the draft, especially as a lottery team, other than Edwards, you're kind of just taking guys with flyers at this point. You're not really sure what you're getting. So teams are going to try incredibly hard to wiggle their way out of their draft positions or maybe even draft as carefully as possible. They're going to try and take the lowest risk, highest reward player. I think that's what you sort of look at with this draft. Yeah, I mean, I would say Anthony Edwards did compare himself to Dwayne Wade. So if he could have that mentality and he ends up being anything close to Dwayne Wade, then I think he's absolutely worthy of a, of a number one overall pick, especially in a year where nobody has really put themselves head and shoulders above the rest. And I think you, you said it perfectly. You're really taking flyers on some of, the, uh, some of these guys. Uh, I think about some of these young point guards who are overseas right now. You talk about Killian Hayes, uh, somebody like R.J. Hampton, who had a lot of hype to him coming into last year. And, and then, uh, again, there are some upperclassmen that I think in a regular year might go at the bottom of the lottery or maybe in the mid to, first, mid to late first round. But I think about a guy like Obi Toppin, and I also think about a guy like Sadiq Bey from Villanova. These are guys that, you know, this is the year for them. If you're going to – if they're going to go in the top 10, this is probably the year for them. But there's one pick in particular that I think both of us are interested in, and that's the number eight pick. And the New York Knicks hold that pick. And from what I saw on Tankathon at number eight, they have Tyrese Halliburton. And I don't think if the Knicks could end up with Halliburton, the way you just spoke about him, ILO, I don't think you'd have a problem with that. But again, the Knicks don't do this drafting very well. Do you think the Knicks are going to step on their own toes? Or if Tyrese Halliburton is there, should the Knicks just pull the trigger and take him right away? Well, Andrew, uh, I'm very glad that you were able to be nice about the Knicks because if I was introducing them, I would probably get fired, for lack of a better term. But um, the Knicks haven't been terrible, I would say, in drafting in the last couple of years. I mean, you look at Kristaps uh, Porzingis, who everyone, including myself and Michael Rappaport, sums it up in about a 15-second video, screamed about. And then he turned out to be a pretty good player. And now the trade, and that's a different story for another day. But, I mean, you look at R.J. Barrett, who's been pretty good. Mitchell Robinson was an absolute steal. They signed Alonzo Trier. Kevin Knox, who I, th I still think has some potential to be, be a player. It's just a matter of finding the right role for him. And you know what? I'm not too annoyed at their draft resume the last few years. They've seemed to kind of pick some solid people. If they have Tyrese Halliburton there, yeah, I would, I would easily pull the trigger. I mean, we talk about he's a smart point guard. I do question his, his shooting because he has a really odd form. It's not like Lonzo Balls, but it's a little odd. I also question his consistency with finishing at the rim and is he going to be another Frank Nilakina? I'll just kind of say it right now. Is he going to be another Frank Nilakina? Now, in terms of can he produce offensively? Yeah, I, I would assume that he's going to be better than Frank, but his defense has also been a, a red flag for some people. And I think maybe you can elevate him and be an okay defender. I also think that there needs to be someone in front of him that needs to teach him the rope. Frank didn't have that. And well, you know how it turned out. He hasn't been very good on either side of the ball. I mean, defense, blah, whatever. But offensively, he has been a nightmare. 
So I think that if Halliburton's there, I would take him. Cole Anthony is another name that we did forget to mention. He's another guy you have to take on the flyer, especially with the knee injury. You also don't know about his consistency. Um, so there's a lot of problems there. And his spacing that he had at UNC kind of completely took him out of his, his zone. But I think if Halliburton's there, the Knicks should pull the trigger, and then they should find a veteran point guard to put in front of him to kind of teach him the ropes. Yeah, because that point guard position has really just been a revolving door. I mean, Frank Nielakina, the really good defender, but offensively still a little bit challenged, and he isn't a floor general. You mentioned Halliburton. He's a guy who can run the offense, and he has size there too. And I think Tom Thibodeau, letting him have Halliburton, I know a lot of people say that, you know, Thibodeau runs guys ragged. But again, he does make players better defenders. And I think Halliburton would be wise to learn under Thibodeau and then I think with all these other young pieces, if guys could just buy in to Thibodeau's defensive strategy and that game plan, then I think there's things that you can feel optimistic about if you're a Knicks fan. Uh, my only worry is if Halliburton goes earlier than that. What do the Knicks do? Where are they stuck? Do they take a flyer on somebody like Akira Lewis Jr. or, or R.J. Hampton? I mean, they might, but I think Knicks fans are looking for them to hit at number eight. But I just I think with this year's draft, the depth isn't there. And I think just not knowing about most of these prospects as their tapes weren't finished and they weren't allowed to finish their resume, so to speak, before coming into the draft. I, I think that's going to be problematic for a lot of teams. And as you said, you're going to have to take a chance with some of these guys and it might pay off and it might not. But I think the Knicks would be wise in the second round if they can. There's guys like a Cassius Winston, a Peyton Pritchard from Oregon. If you can kind of get back into the end of the first round, early second round, and get one of those guys, I think that could be a steal too. We've seen that work out for teams, especially playoff contenders in the past couple of years. But the draft is going to be fun November 18th. We'll see who goes where. And just two days later, Aiello, free agency opens at 6 p.m. Woj, Shams, Everybody, Rachel Nichols, will be working hard for the first two days from the 20th 20 to the 22nd. A, a bunch going on. Aiello, who do you think are the free agents that are going to be most coveted coming into this offseason? Anthony Davis, but he's going back to the Lakers. <laughs> he's the only noteworthy guy that can, I guess, make an impact on a team. But other than that, I mean, Ingram's probably going back to New Orleans. They'll match whatever team throws money at him. Uh, DeRozan's going to have a pretty dry market. I guess the only team that I can really see him going to is Orlando. If he wants to go to the Knicks, he would have to come with somebody else because no player is dumb enough to go to the Knicks on their own. They, and they know that. So DeRozan, I mean, other than Orlando, I, I really see a dry market for him. Uh, Fred Van Fleet, I think, should stay in Toronto. But if he is to go anywhere else, uh, people are going to have to make a sizable offer to get him on their team because he could be a starting point guard on a lot of the NBA teams. If you look at Dallas, you can have Luka kind of stick to his two-guard stuff, and then Van Fleet is kind yeah. of the, the cover at the one, I guess. But what I'm most interested in, Andrew, is there's two players in the trade rumor mill who well, are really going around. Chris Paul is one, mm. and we've dissected him. Here's the second one, Drew Holiday. Yes. Drew Holiday's name is getting thrown around so much. And when everyone talks about the Bucs, uh, they talk about the Heat. How about he goes to the Atlanta Hawks? Talk about a team that's ready to 
raise the bar. They traded for Capella. They've, they've got a bunch of young assets. You got John Collins. You got, you got John DeAndre Collins, Hunter. Right. Uh, they also have Cam Reddish. So they have the trade pieces for it. Ke- Kevin Herter, I guess, would be the main focus and package a couple picks. And Drew Holiday, I think, would be a great fit for Atlanta. Now, I know that their whole thing is shooting threes and spacing. Well, that's pretty much everyone in the NBA today. But Atlanta is one of the teams that really emphasizes it. Drew Holiday is not the best three-point shooter, but he's also not horrible. I would just say he's, he's blah at threes. But he would be a great defensive cover, especially for Trey Young, who we see get beat up on defense pretty much. Uh, and Holiday could take on their be- the best perimeter player on the opposing team, and he would by far, in a way, be their most equipped guy to do it. And then Capella can handle the paint down low. And on offense, he gives you a lot of versatility with his off-ball playmaking, his slashing, cuts to the rim. He's still a great mid-range shooter. He's a calm and collective leader, which I think you need on a young team like Atlanta. So I think Drew Holiday would be perfect for the Hawks, in my opinion. If it was Kevin Herter, DeAndre Bembry, and a couple picks, I guess, are the two or three other assets. And then, of course, you got to make the money work somehow. But I guess Drew Holiday... From a fit standpoint, yeah, he would. I think he would be perfect for the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, I, I would say Atlanta I wasn't thinking about, but I think so because Drew has really thrived being a two-guard. I mean, he was still successful as a point guard when he was in Philly. But again, when the decisions were made and Alvin Gentry moved him over to the two-guard, he just started thriving, especially on the defensive end. So I think he would definitely help give Trey Young at least some cover as far as the defensive backcourt is concerned there. I do like the Heat, though. The Heat have some pieces. I know they don't want to part with some of these guys, especially from what they saw in the bubble. You don't want to just have to give them up. But imagine Drew Holiday, because Goran Dragic is going to be a free agent. You don't know if he's going to stay in Miami. There are going to be some teams that are going to want his services, and they're going to be giving him money. So you don't know that yet. So if you're the Heat, you maybe pull the trigger on that. As far as Chris Paul is concerned, this one's tough, ILO, because this man is making – an inordinate amount of money right now. <laughs> it's disgusting. He's going to be like 50 years old making $50 million. Uh, and I know he was great for OKC, and he is the only reason why they were even in the playoffs and they gave Houston a run for their money in the first round. But again, I, I think we shouldn't be prisoners in the moment because you're still trading for, what, another three years, and that money only goes up to a little over $41 million for that final year. So – I just don't know which team financially wants to take that hit. I think would have to take a desperate team. I don't see a team rebuilding taking on that deal. But if Milwaukee or a team like that felt desperate enough, Philadelphia with Doc Rivers felt desperate enough, maybe they pull the trigger and try and work some money around with some of their bad contracts. But unless a playoff contender does it, I don't see Chris Paul getting traded to just any team. Yeah, no, Andrew, I agree. And we talk about desperate teams. I mean, the Knicks have been a desperate team for <laughs> how long? How long has it been? I honestly don't uh, even the know. The better part of three decades almost. Yeah, I would say that's about right. I mean, if Chris Paul's going to go anywhere, I guess you talk about the financial stuff. If coronavirus didn't exist, the guy would be set to make damn near close to $50 million. Oh. Okay, so <laughs> that's, that's pretty concerning. I guess the one or two teams that I really look at for him. I don't know. Do the Clippers put stuff together to bring Chris Paul back? I mean, Paul George, he he wasn't very good. Pat Bev is no, no difference maker. And 
in the playoffs, you need a calming presence. And Kawhi Leonard, he wasn't bad in the playoffs. Like, he was still really good. But he just had people around him not using their intelligence. Um, So I guess Chris Paul, like, the Clippers would make sense. But do they have the assets and money to do it? Probably not. I looked at Toronto for half a second, and I forgot that Kyle Lowry's still there. I don't know if (laughs) Jerry would want to give up his boy for, what, a year maybe of Chris Paul. Uh, Miami definitely would not want to do it. That would be way too much for them to give up. You're Spurs, you're Spurs fan, Andrew. I know that Chris Paul, Greg Povich would love to have his hands on him, but I, I don't know if you guys would want to do that, especially if you have DeJounte Murray still on ice. Yeah, I, I don't know. DeMar, it, if DeMar DeRozan was on the other end of that and we can get some money out, and, and LaMarcus Aldridge is on, a lot of people have linked him to the Warriors giving up the number two pick. I don't know if the Spurs are going to pull the fit. trigger on that. Yeah, it doesn't fit to me. I'm sure the Warriors would be more content getting Wiseman and just developing him. But I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, Greg Popovich and Chris Paul would be great. I would love Chris Paul to mentor guys like DeJounte and someone like Derek White, both guys who, who look like they could be the next starting point guard. And whoever wins that battle, I imagine the Spurs will trade the other because both of them are great pieces. And I'm sure teams would love to line up and get either DeJounte Murray or Derek White for the foreseeable future. But that leads me to free agency. And I mentioned DeMar DeRozan. Aiello, there's a lot of guys who have player options coming into this offseason. And for some like Gordon Hayward, he has a 31 million player. He's taking that. He's not getting out of that. But I think about somebody like Andre Drummond. He's at 25 million. I think about Tim Hardaway Jr. He's at 17 million. Evan Fournier, he's at 17 million even. For a couple of those guys, that's good money, yes. But I'm sure Andre Drummond, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Evan Fournier can all cash in on a nice deal and recoup some of that money that they would lose out of their player option. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think about, look, Kelly Olynyk, 12.5 million. You don't think there's going to be a team out there that might want to use him as a stretch four when they saw in the bubble when he was healthy? Uh, Jeremy Grant a $9 million play option. He played himself into some good money. So I'm looking down this list, and I would not be surprised if somebody like Andre Drummond said, $25 million looks nice, but I can go get myself damn near $100 million. Let me opt out and see if I can get with the playoff contender because obviously Cleveland isn't going anywhere anytime soon. I kind of disagree with you with Drummond because what we've seen from him in the past couple of seasons, especially – the second he got traded to Cleveland, he immediately fell off the map. Andre Drummond is going to have, in my opinion, I think a hard time getting paid because he's not an impact player like people think he is. Sure, he can put up 16 points and grab 14 rebounds and get three blocks, but what has that resulted in? I mean, Detroit just gets blown out every game, and even he puts up great numbers, they still stink. So I don't know if Drummond's going to get paid. Um, As far as Fournier and Hardaway, I'm sure that they'll get some money from some team that needs bench scoring, I guess Orlando maybe can pick up a Hardaway Jr. and he would be a nice help for them because they are so desperate for perimeter talent. Montrez Harrell, I think, is another guy that is going to have, uh, he's going to demand a payday. I mean, $8 million for him, he's the sixth man of the year, is criminal at this point. I'm thinking <laughs> for him around 13 to $18 million range. I brought this up with Jackson Heil on a couple episodes ago of Pick and Pot. I said, could you do a sign-in trade for Montrez Harrell for Marcus uh, for Marc Gasol? But uh, that idea went completely out the window because Gasol went back to Spain. So forget <laughs> it. But um, 
And da- Davis Bertans is another name that we forgot to bring up because he's going yes. to demand a high, high payday the way that he played last season. He was laser shooting three-pointers. He, looked, he was as accurate as, um, as if you actually trained stormtroopers how to be good at their <laughs> job. That's who Davis Berton was. I mean, and that's what you want in the league now. You want a big who can shoot in Davis Bertans. And I hated that the Spurs let him go, but you're seeing that if you leave him out there, he's knocking him down. He's just a sniper. Yeah, he, he was phenomenal for the Wizards this year. I mean, and who knows? Maybe Washington will keep him because they feel like they're really close to getting back into the playoffs. And we saw what Beal is capable of when Wall is not there. And you question if Wall is going to come back fine. And from everything that I've seen from his workouts and stuff, he looks in shape. I don't know if he's going to have the 20, 2014, 2015 John Wall or the 2017 John Wall where he's going to average 20 points and like 11 assists. I don't know if he's going to get that, but if you get 16 and maybe seven out of him, Beal keeps doing his thing and you got guys stepping up. I mean, that Washington team could be scary. They can be really scary, but I don't know. As far as the role players, is anyone can pretty much go anywhere at this point. Uh, the Knicks are looking to trade a player like Julius Randle. I'm sure they're going to decline almost all of their team options that they have. I mean, Wayne, Wayne Ellington kind of stinks. <laughs> so does Bobby Portis and, <laughs> Alfred Payton, I, I can go go on with the Knicks. Marcus Morris is another name that's going to definitely look for a pay, and I think he's going to leave Los Angeles. Where he goes, it's kind of tough to judge because he's a, he's a lesser Carmelo Anthony. How about that? He's a lesser and less <laughs> athletic mellow. He likes to shoot his little jab step shots from the elbows, and he likes to take a lot of threes, and he's not the most athletic guy, and he likes a slower-paced game. So. I don't know where he goes. The only team I can see him going to is Miami because that's the, the, the style of play they enjoy. And maybe he goes to San Antonio. Maybe all of that comes full circle. Who knows where he goes? And anyone can go anywhere at this point. It's just a matter of are you willing to take flyers on these guys? Yeah, and I would say this. Uh, first, with Andre Drummond, I, I just think he's not the guy. He's not going to be your number one. And I think Detroit, they, they were stinking up the place. Then he goes – to Cleveland. Cleveland is in rebuild. I mean, that's a, a dystopia. It's, it's just purgatory really right now for yeah. the NBA. So I, I think, I think Andre Drummond could serve to kind of be like a Clint Capella. Could he just be a guy you use him in the pick and roll? He can be that defensive anchor. He can be your third best player. And can you go in and contend? I think so. So depending, I mean, he might want to cash in on that 25 million and then wait until next year when, you know, the cap presumably goes back up and the CBA is uh, renegotiated and, and finalized. But I think when it comes down to this, to this free agent class, I think there are just some veteran bigs, a guy like Paul Millsap, Danilo Gallinari, Serge Ibaka. Those are guys that low-key can make a team already on the rise, you know, a playoff caliber team, and give them a little bit extra so that they can contend and potentially get to a conference finals and get to an NBA finals. So I would think a team like Miami, if you can add Danilo Gallinari or Paul Millsap, I think you're in business. And then on the other side, if you're a team like the Lakers and you can make some moves and get yourself a veteran big who can help, because obviously, you know, Dwight, JaVale, you don't know who's coming back, who's not. So I think there's a few guys there, but Obviously, the gems of this free agent class, Anthony Davis, Brandon Ingram, we imagine that they're going to re-sign you know, with the Lakers and the Pelicans, respectively. 
And you, going back to what you said about Millsap and Gallinari, we forgot to mention one team who has been practicing witchcraft the last decade <laughs> is the Boston Celtics. Yes. We completely forgot to mention them because they're going to sign a Drummond. They, hell, they might sign Millsap, play him at center, and then he becomes a freaking all-star. I mean, that's just what the Celtics do. They're like voodoo witch doctors. Um, but I think that Boston's another team. They're, they're going to pick up one of these guys. Maybe they swindle Drummond to take a lot less money to be on a winning team. Millsap would be great for them, just kind of a, a quiet leader, but he's a mentally maniac, if you will. You can't really break him if you try to push him around. Uh, I don't know what happens at this point. Jeremy Grant is another guy to take on a flyer, but he's pretty good. You know, he can be, could be a starting power forward, maybe bench, bench spark, uh, among other things, ball handler, defender, improved shooter. Give him props for that. He is a much improved shooter. And I guess the last thing that I was really looking at um, is Indiana. Their whole situation with Oladipo not being happy, lowballing him offers. Is Miles Turner, is he good? I think Indiana is going to also make a move, and it's going to be one that you don't expect because they have enough assets to pull it off. And maybe Turner and Oladipo find themselves on a new team this year, and they, Indiana brings in a, another star-level player. Maybe they go to the Clippers. Maybe if they don't like Paul George, they get those two in return. Who knows? You're talking about teams making moves, and that leads me – to the other team here in New York, the Brooklyn Nets. And I was thinking about this last night, you know, and just doing a little prep for the pod. And I just keep seeing tweets of potential trades that involve Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. And one that I see frequently, and I'm sure you, do, you see it too, is with Washington and Bradley Beal. But this is the thing, ILO, why the Nets have so much talent. They have Karis LeVert just proved to you in the bubble that he is a star in the making. Spencer Dinwiddie just low-key is on cruise control as one of the most efficient point guards in the league. Jared Allen has shown you that he can be a defensive anchor and on the offensive side, give you games where he can get into double figures. And he's shown that he's developing that low post game of his. But for the Nets, why does it have to be that the Nets have to go and get Bradley Beal or they have to go get Victor Oladipo or trade for a star. I really think the Nets are great as is. If KD comes back as 90% of what he once was coming off the Achilles and Kyrie is back at 100% from the shoulder, this team as constructed is going to go to the finals and they're going to represent the Eastern Conference as long as everybody is on the same page and they're healthy. I just don't see why Nets fans are rushing to the trade machine to see who they can get for Levert, for Dinwiddie, for Jared Allen. I just don't get it. Well, I think it's because the Nets have been the B team in New York, and they've been, they were exiled for years to my home state of New Jersey, playing at the Meadowlands across the street from the Giants, who they're on the come up, but we can talk about that another day. <laughs> Here is three reasons why the Nets should not trade any of those players. Number one, Kyrie Irving is going to get hurt. I'm going to just say, he is going to get hurt. It's inevitable. Every season, he always has a shoulder, foot, a mental breakdown, whatever you want to say about him. And you need Dinwiddie on the roster to cover for him. And if anyone's going to cover for Kyrie, he is the most equipped. And he is a great player. He's a really good player. He's a great playmaker. He's a much better shooter. His defense, I question, but I feel like it's enough to get by. And he's just kind of a chill dude. He won't really say anything crazy or 
give you media problems. Number two, DeAndre Jordan's falling off. And Jared Allen is heir to the throne to DeAndre Jordan. He just needs some more weight. He needs to improve his free throws. And then you're set to go with him. I don't know why you want to get rid of him. And Karis LeVert is going to be the third option. He doesn't need the ball like Bradley Beal does. He can play off the ball. He, he's fine with being the third option. He's content with his 15, 16 points a game. And he can fit into a lot of different roles. His defense is much improved. And I think on that side of the ball, it's going to be really key, especially for Brooklyn, who you look at their roster, who the hell is going to play defense on this team other than Jordan? I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of looking at their roster. I mean, Kuroks, I mean, I don't really know what he does. Joe Harris, who they have to pay this offseason, and yeah. I don't know if he's going to be around. He doesn't play defense, but he's an incredible shooter. He'll get paid somewhere else. Dinwiddie's not a great defender. Durant is an okay rim protector. I wouldn't say that he's an elite lockup guy because there are players that are able to get past him. You look at, I guess, Steph Curry. He can just kind of dance around KD, kind of dribble underneath his legs and get right to the basket. Dinwiddie, like I said, he's improved, but he's no, he's no Drew Holiday, who they also want to try and trade for. Yeah, so I don't really see why you would make a move for any of the three, let alone put all of them in one move. I guess if you're going to trade away anybody, trade away DeAndre Jordan. He kind of stinks. He was horrible when he showed up to the Knicks. He was even worse when the Nets signed him. <laughs> and at this point, what is he, 30, 32, 33? 32, 33 now. Around there, right? And he was an athletic center at one point who every time he jumped, you would be like his head was at the top of the backboard. He doesn't do that anymore. I mean, he's a smarter defender, don't get me wrong, but he's kind of grounded even more so than he once was. So I would definitely not try to trade all three of them, let alone in one move. That would be even more moronic than it already is. So I would try to hold on to them as much as possible, and they just kind of have to accept that once the two stars show up, you're like, you know, you got to give them the ball or relegating to them. But they're great covers for when they get hurt, and we know Kyrie Irving's history. He's going to get hurt at some point. Yeah, I mean, the, the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, when you have Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni as a part of your coaching staff, I think we can throw defensive principles and strategies out of the window. So that team is going to score, and they're going to score and double up what their opponents score. That's going to be their mentality, <laughs> I imagine. But again, I would say this. Let's give this team a year as constructed. Give them a year to see what they can do before you decide, all right, do we want to move a piece or two and bring in somebody else to, to fit that puzzle piece. So for the Nets, it's, it just, to me, just doesn't make sense. And, and I keep seeing it too much. Bradley Beal, Drew Holiday, Victor Oladipo, great players. Not saying that you shouldn't trade for them, but if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you just put these, these pieces are now going to be put together coming into this season. You're going to find out what you have for the next two to three year window where you feel like you can compete and win, and not only win a championship, but potentially multiple championships. But again, as you mentioned, Kyrie has to stay healthy. We don't know what KD is going to be coming off an Achilles, which just feels like, you know, 20, 25 years ago was a career killer. You know, for most players, it will be interesting to see. But I think we both can agree that KD's game, is, it's never been predicated on athleticism. So he should still be able to shoot over guys, get to his spots, mid-range, three-point. You still expect him to be a dynamic scorer. But again, yeah, the Nets... See what you got first before you decide if you want to break up anything. I, I think the core is there. And the Eastern Conference, when we, when we look at Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto, Miami, those are good, formidable teams. 
But if you're the Nets, you got to be thinking your roster against everybody else. You got to like your chances. Yeah, you really have to like your chances. I mean, you also want to stack the decks as much in your favor as possible. And Durant seems to, he likes to do that when he went to Golden State. And I know I'm taking subliminal shots here, but he doesn't like a challenge. And I know that people talk about Bradley Beal, like, yeah, it would make the team amazing, but is it worth for two years for Bradley Beal and then they kind of all just leave? Is it worth it for the one year of Holiday or the one year of Oladipo? I would much rather keep the roster intact for this season and maybe pick one of the three. Like, okay, who has been the worst of these three with Levert, Dinwiddie, and Allen? And who do we need? So you kind of have to factor that into building this team around. And who knows, maybe if Durant isn't what he is, but and him and Kyrie eventually leave at some point, they can still be good for another three or four seasons. I mean, you got, they're all young. Allen, Dinwiddie, Levert, they're all young. They're on affordable contracts. They seem to be willing to take pay cuts to make the team a lot better. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch the roster, especially not this year, and coming off of a crazy, crazy situation that we've got right, in, right now. And it could be done soon with the vaccine just announced recently. But I would, would kind of hold off on everything, wait and see what you have. Can Steve Nash coach? Is D'Antoni going to get in the way with influencing the seven seconds offense like he does everywhere he goes, assistant or not? So we're going to have to see. We have to see how Brooklyn pans out. But Nets fans have a lot to be excited about coming up this season. Yeah, and Aiello, before I wrap this up, I'm going to ask you two questions before we get up out of here. One, who do you think is going to be the best player out of this draft when it's all said and done? And two, which team do you want to see be most active in free agency come the next couple of weeks? All right, well, I'm pulling out my crystal ball here, Andrew. Um, yes. For the draft, I really want to say Anthony Edwards because I'm a big fan of him. He's just a, a hoss, <laughs> for <laughs> lack of a better term. This kid's a tank. Uh, he's got all the tools to be great, but like I said earlier in the show, I question his motive. I question if he plays more for stats or for, for wins. And I question if he's going to be able to fit against a D'Angelo Russell in his backcourt, the ball-dominant player. I mean, I don't... You'd need a non-dominant ball handler. And Edwards, he's going to be a, a number one on a lot of teams. I think it's going to be either him, and I think that Obi Toppin might kind of sneak around in there. And he might be a really good player. We don't know. The most active free agency team that I would like to see, I'm going to – it's between two teams, Philadelphia and the Clippers. Those are the two teams that I would like to see shake up their rosters. I'll quickly touch on Philadelphia. They have a lot of – horrible contracts, and there's some bad teams willing to take them. Nick's one of them. So if you can move a Harris or a Horford and you get back some, some wing players that aren't 6'10 and can't shoot but can service, be serviceable in other areas, I think that's a win. I think they should consider trading Ben Simmons, as crazy as it sounds. I think it's time to let him go because he just does not want to get the three-point shot in hand. He seems to hate it. And then for the Clippers, I mean, after what happened this year, you, you got to do something. I mean, do you trade Paul George? That's probably what I would do. Can you get Chris Paul out of it and get someone else with him? I don't know. So those are the two teams I really see being active in this free agency that I hope will be really active in this free agency. Yeah, I would say first, I would only go on my eye test. I saw OB Toppin up close and personal, what he did to Fordham men's basketball. And it was on a light night. He had a double-double, didn't do what he wanted <laughs> to, but obviously Fordham men's basketball was overmatched that day. 
So from what I've seen in, in this NBA draft class, the uncertainty, not knowing who's head and shoulders above the rest, I, I think Obi Toppin is ready right now and he's going to make an immediate impact. And I really hope that people pass on him because he's older and that the Spurs can have him there at number 11 or number 12. As far as active teams, you took one of those teams. Philadelphia has to. Those contracts are atrocious. <laughs> Tobias Harris is guaranteed $180 million. Al Horford is guaranteed $97 million in the next three years. And again, if you can trade Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, either or, I think at this point, you got to be willing to part with one or the other because I think that's the only way a team takes one of those two bad contracts. They're going to want either Simmons or Embiid if they're going to take a contract that's Tobias's or Al Horford's. I think Philadelphia, you got to shake it up. And I think you can still get something if you can make that deal sweet and dangle out Al Horford with, with some of those young pieces that they have. I think you can get something in return. So I expect Philadelphia to be active in free agency. That doesn't necessarily mean that Doc Rivers will be active. Maybe he'll give it a shot. But I, I think Philadelphia, I think they would suffice having a shakeup or two. But that'll do it. For this edition of Pick and Pod, we're just happy basketball is back. You already know the NBA draft in eight days, free agency starts in 12 days, and on December 1st, training camps begin as tip-off gets set for December 22nd. For Thomas Aiello, I'm Andrew Posadas. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>